Welcome everybody to the Good Old Boy Podcast, where we're champions of the common man. Good old boys talking about life and what makes us who we are. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host and fellow good old boy, Buster Caballero. Now, sit back, relax, and on to the show. All right, my fellow good old boys, this is Buster Caballero here. I am sitting here on wonderful... Lake Conroe in Willis, Texas, across the table from Dr. Toby York. And guys, when y'all hear about what this man has accomplished and the jewelry he has, you're going to not believe it. Dr. Toby York, thank you for being here today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Buster, it's it's my pleasure. Welcome to our place on Lake Conroe and and uh, just just uh Glad to have the opportunity to sit down and visit with you. Yeah, I appreciate it too. I've heard you've come and talked to us a couple of times uh, when we've had our sales meetings up here and told us some good stories and hung out. A good friend of Gary Wellborn, who has been on the podcast, episode number three, uh, we talked about service, service, service with him uh, on his. You know, that you've probably heard him say that before. Uh, today, though, uh, Gary, you know, he arranged this for you and I to come and sit next to each other. And I, I just really appreciate it. So, one, thank you for allowing me to come into your home here. The view here is amazing on Lake Conroe out here. That, that's a beautiful view you got here. Well, thank you very much. Just, just love waking up to it every morning. And once I retired, had some other opportunities to do a few things and uh, decline really all of them because I said, you know, if I if I don't want to do it if I don't have the opportunity to drive back every evening and watch this sunset on this lake. So I've been very blessed. That is, that is. So, Dr. York, you have carried on a tradition in your family, uh, starting with your dad. You have carried it on. Your brother has carried this on. And uh, now I understand your daughter is carrying that on also tonight. That's that's true, Buster. Um, You know, when you go back and look at your life, I guess you could say I've had what I guess some people term heroes in their life. I've had a few of those that have certainly helped me along the way. My father was probably my biggest influence as a young boy, watching him as I was growing up. And, uh, you know, I I had decided at a very early age what I wanted to try to do with my life. And, uh, uh, dad was a high school football coach and later a, a school superintendent and and uh, I basically followed in his footsteps in those areas and as I was visiting with a, a gentleman this past week uh, uh, we were talking about professions and I said you know uh, I never actually felt like I worked a day in my life I loved what I did and when I was a young coach, I, I I probably never even knew when payday rolled around. That's honestly the truth. So I've been very blessed in that respect. That's a that's a wonderful thing to hear coming from from you. That you've never you don't feel like you've worked a day in your life, but you have also made an impact on a lot of a lot of young people, and at the same time, you have also molded a lot of young people 
Would you, would you say that's a true or? Yes, and uh, I, I was blessed to have been given that opportunity, and I love to interact with young people. And, and as I look back, I uh, was fortunate to spend 37 years uh, actually trying to teach young people how to, to treat other people and hopefully preparing them to, to go into life and, and uh, to be positive influences on others. And so uh, that was a real joy uh, uh, as I was in my younger stages of my profession, as I was a coach and teacher. Uh, you know, I interacted with students on a daily basis uh, as, as I later on I became, in, in particular, a superintendent of schools in central office. I missed being around kids, which I thought was my uh, strongest asset. So I always enjoyed visiting campuses and mingling with, with our students of all ages. And so, uh, yeah, that, that was a, a real blessing. So, so give us your background a little bit, if you don't, if you don't mind, you are, are you from the Conroe area or where are you from? What's your, yeah, I grew up actually, uh, I was born in Brady, Texas, uh, you know, small school in, uh, I don't really consider it Central Texas, but they call it the heart of Texas out in probably the beginnings of West Texas. Uh, my father was a high school, head high school football coach at Brady. He was fortunate enough to win a state football championship there. We moved to Conroe when I was in the first grade, uh, uh, which was a wonderful one school town, really a great place to grow up in. Uh, attended schools in Conroe through my high school uh tenure. Uh, then I went to Abilene Christian College at that time. It's now Abilene Christian University. was fortunate enough to, uh, to, to attend there on a football scholarship and uh, was also fortunate enough to play on a 1973 uh, Division II National Championship football team uh, where, you know, received my bachelor's from Abilene Christian. Then I knew, I, as I talked earlier in our conversation, I wanted, to, I wanted to coach. That's just really what I wanted to do. And uh, I got on at Texas A&M University as a, what they call a graduate assistant football coach. Emory Ballard hired me now, at that time. When you were at Abilene, something happened, though, right? And you played for them? Well, now I played for a couple of, there were a couple of outstanding players on that team, mm -hmm. but, uh, and I play, okay, I, 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 I lost you there. So while you were playing at Abilene Christian. Yes, sir. What did y'all win? Oh, we won the, uh, NAI national championship in yeah. 1973 and had a couple of really good football players on that team. Uh, we had a quarterback named Clint Longley that was back up for the Dallas Cowboys. He backed up Roger Stahl back a couple of years. The Mad and Bomber, right? The Mad Bomber, that's right. And uh, Wilbert Montgomery, who was an all-pro running back for the Philadelphia Eagles, played in the Super Bowl. And so uh, uh, it w that was a lot of fun, a great experience. It really was. Uh, of course, then had the opportunity to go to Texas A&M, where I also worked on and received my master's degree in educational administration. Uh, that year that I was there with uh, A&M, uh, we were fortunate enough to win the Southwest Conference Championship, went to the Liberty Bowl. And so that was a wonderful experience also. So if we're counting right now, that's two rings, Yes, right? that's correct. Yeah. So we've got yeah. two championship rings, and I think this is going to be a theme that 
<laughs> well, yeah, it's called being around good players, Buster. <laughs> it's what it is, and great opportunities. And, uh, you know, before I continue, uh, when I look back, I, I had a head start on a lot of people. And, and I guess one of the main reasons was I had great mentors along the way. Uh, Chuck York, my father, was a Hall of Fame coach, uh, superintendent of schools. Uh, then I had the opportunity to work under Emory Ballard, who is one of the all-time greats. Uh, then, as I obtained my master's and, and went out into the coaching profession, I, uh, I got, became the offensive backfield coach at Temple High School under Coach Bob McQueen, who was also one of my mentors and Hall of Fame coach. Uh, it was a great five years under Coach McQueen at Temple. We played in two state championship games, won one, one, one of them. And uh, their five years, we had five straight 10-0 and seasons. So we uh, uh, never lost a regular season game in five years and uh, played numerous playoff games. Wonderful experience. And so uh, was able to get a state championship ring there at Temple. And also uh, in 79, I believe it was, we were named to coach the South All-Stars in the Texas High School All-Star football game. And I was the running back coach. I got to coach Eric Dickerson and Craig James in the All-Star game. And, wow. and uh, we got a ring for being in the All-Star game. So uh, just blessed to have been with two of the greatest coaches uh, in the state, in the history of, of Texas football at any level, Emory Ballard and Bob McQueen. And uh, just laid a great foundation for me and, 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 and men of great integrity. You know, they, uh, you know, coaches, I think, and, and I sometimes get labeled that, uh, you know, they may be foul-mouthed at times and things like this. And I never experienced any of that. I worked with two outstanding men, great integrity, and I was fortunate uh, that that happened. Then uh, I... I wanted to get out on my own, I guess like a lot of people aspire to do. I was 28 years old, had had two great experiences, and I was able to land the uh, athletic directorship and head football coaching job in Cameron, Texas, Yo High School. And Cameron was a, at that time, what they call a 3A school, is, which is now 4A in classification state of Texas. And uh, things fell just right for us. We kept, uh, went that first year, started getting a little better and a little better each week. And lo and behold, we were able to win the state championship that year. So that's ring number three. Ring number, uh, uh, ring number four, actually, four. counting the all-star yeah. games. So, yeah, we did have the all-star game for you. And um, uh, we're, we were there seven years. It was a wonderful time. We... Uh, I, I can't remember exactly, but we we coached somewhere in, I think, about 28, 29 playoff games in that seven-year stretch. Weren't able to win another title. We went to the semifinals once, quarterfinals several times. But uh, it was it was fun, a lot of fun. Uh, were there seven years, kind of time, felt like it was time for a new challenge. And uh, Conroe, which was home and which my dad was the head football coach, and I, I was played 
graduated from high school there, called, and we, uh, we took the head coaching job at uh, an athletic coordinator job at Conroe High School. Was there five years, did not have near the success that we had had at our two previous stops, but uh, still a wonderful experience. Uh, I had continued during that time to work on my superintendency certification. As I said, I'd gotten a master's degree in education, and I obtained my superintendency's degree at that time uh, in 1992, decided it was time uh, uh, to, to get into the administrative part of education. I'd always prepared to do that, prepared myself to do that, and I uh, became a high school assistant principal. You, know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And uh, worked in the Conroe ISD, I think, for two, my two and a half years in that capacity, became a principal at New Caney High School, then assistant superintendent at New Caney, assistant superintendent in Goose Creek School District in Baytown, and uh, served five years as superintendent of schools prior to my retirement. So did you see that as a, a good path that your dad had set, that, you know, th this seems like a chance to have a good life, work with mentor kids, work with kids, a good career path, something that you you went through or you know buster i my father was probably the smartest person i've been around he just was a man of a few words but he's kind of like if and i'm i'm aging myself they used to have a ef commercial on television ef for ef hutton mm -hmm. and uh it, it when people when this person would speak people would stop and listen that's kind of like dad was and I remember I'm working on my doctorate. I was later able to get a doctorate of education from the University of Houston. But I was working on it, you know, and it's kind of mundane at the time working on that thing. But I, And I was enjoying coaching at the time. I was talking to my father about it on the phone. I said, well, Dad, I don't know uh, if I'll ever use this doctorate or where, where, I, where life will take me. And he said, and y'all, son, said, you never know. He said, uh, but it gives you some options. He said, someday you might get tired of climbing on and off that yellow bus. <laughs> and I just kind of put that in the back of my head. And um, coaching, you, you move around a lot in coaching. Most people, a lot of coaches do. And I've gotten a point in my life where my kids were in uh, – uh, junior high age, one fixing to go into high school, and I just made a decision I wasn't going to pick up and move them around again. And uh, I uh, and, and had prepared myself to go that route. Uh, and uh, that's when I just kind of cut the string and said, okay, I'm going to go into the administrative end of it and, uh, uh, you know, enjoy it, see where it might lead me or not, lead, you know, whatever. And... Uh, I don't regret anything. Yeah. What do you think is the difference between being a coach and having a coach these young men, you know, prepare them for a big fight on Friday night versus the administration side and now being more responsible for a, a larger group yeah. of kids and who, who are fighting different challenges? T tell you a story about that, Buster. Um, there's a gentleman, I was superintendent of schools. I'd just become superintendent of schools. I'd been superintendent maybe six to 12 months. And uh, I ran in at a conference, I ran into a gentleman named Mike Moses. Mike Moses 
was one of the more renowned superintendents in the state of Texas back. Uh, uh, he was superintendent of schools in Dallas and Lubbock, and, and he later became the commissioner of education of the state of Texas. So Mike Moses is a very esteemed, you know, uh, gentleman. And I ran into Dr. Moses, and uh, he said, Hey, Toby, he says, uh, how are you doing? says, uh, that superintendency is a lot different from coaching, isn't it? And without even thinking, I said, really, it's really not, Dr. Moses. And we said bye and walked off, and I turned to my wife and says, I can't believe I disagree <laughs> with Dr. Moses. That, was, that wasn't very smart of me. And what I meant by that is the venue's a little different, but you're, you know, how you work with people, how you motivate your staff, how you motivate students, it's not any different than coaching. It really was. The leadership aspects of it were almost identical. The venue and, uh, was certainly different. Um, did I miss preparing for those Friday nights? I, I, you know, I missed some of those things. And uh, uh, I liked uh, the coaching part I liked the most was the motivational pieces, you know, trying to, to, to get the very best out of kids. And, uh, Bring that fire out. Exactly, and, and staff also. And so that really wasn't any different uh, uh, to me. And uh, You're still talking about accountability. Uh, uh, you know, I always thought that... Uh, you know, the field and the practice field, it's, it's nothing but a classroom also. So uh, very, very, very similar in that respect. Had, had Dr. Moses ever been a football coach? You know, maybe in his really, really early years, uh, I know he was a principal in Nacogdoches. He became a superintendent of schools in Lamarck. So uh, – there, back many years ago, back when my father, we talked about him, uh, you know, if the head football coach and athletic director had success, that means they normally had strong leadership qualities. And you saw a lot of superintendents that came from that venue, the coaching venue, not as much anymore this day and time. And... Um, but and some every once in a while I'll look back and say, well, I wonder if I would have started in the administrative end earlier, maybe I would have become a superintendent earlier. Uh, but um, I wouldn't trade the, the route I went for anything. I, I, I had to, I think, the best of both worlds in that respect. Now, er, earlier on when we were talking, you said that you had surrounded yourself with some really good people, uh, and you know. Uh, I kind of believe it's one of the things that, you know, if you're not good, get yourself some good people and you'll be better. Uh, what do you, what would you look for whenever you're surrounding yourself? You know, you're having a, if you're a coach, a superintendent, you have to bring all these people around. What are the qualities that you would look for on these, on these people that made them to make your team better? Well, I always prided myself in hiring people and, I'm not going to tell you that I hit 100% on every hire because I didn't. But um, I spent a lot of time when I hired people. I spent a lot of time with research. I spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with them. And um, I, one of the first things I wanted to look for is, is their character integrity. In other words, what kind of people 
you know, are they? And I always felt like that, uh, and I'd got picked up this saying somewhere, was to uh, hire tough so you could manage easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted people that had similar core beliefs that I had. Uh, how were they going to treat other people? Were they going to be fair? Were they Could they be consistent on what they did? Now, knowledge of the areas that they conducted was important. I didn't have that at the top of the list uh, because I do think that uh, good, really good quality people, you can train them in those areas. So that wasn't uh, uh, one of the criteria. And I also wanted to be people that would have the same philosophy. In other words, they would have people that they would supervise, and I wanted them to, to, I always talked about, tell me, I'd ask them the same question you just asked me, basically. How are you going to hire? How are you going to surround yourself with great people? Um, you know, we, and I would always talk about a couple of quotes, you know, the uh, famous coach Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant always said, I would never hire anybody that, that wasn't that uh, wasn't smarter than I am. Uh, <laughs> Sir Isaac Newton said, uh, "If it seems that uh, I can see farther than others, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants." Mm-hmm. And uh, and I always tried to back off, and uh, you know, certainly give them some credit. It, it, it's important that if they're doing a great job and they're working hard for you and they're loyal to you, that you you communicate that to them from time to time. And uh, so really going back and answering your question, the thing that I get the most, got the most enjoyment out of, whether it was in athletics or school administration, was building a team. Mm-hmm. Building a team was just... Uh, a tremendous amount of fun and to watch that team operate and work as a team. Uh, it's really interesting to hear you say that, to, to build your team uh, and, and see them operate and develop them. And I know nowadays it's, we're hearing a lot about individuals, individuals, individuals and what, can, what they can do and all that stuff. But I, I really believe that, you know, a team who has the same goal, same objectives, same beliefs? You know, they're, they're it's an unstoppable. It's what it what makes you a winner. It makes the team a winner. It makes everyone a winner. So, uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. So, so you've been you've been out of the you've been retired for a few years now. Uh, what do you think? Right now, I've got some boys that are going up through the school system. They're they're starting out. We're seeing these things like Common Core math and new new math, as they call it. I didn't know it, there. I was learning old math. How do you see that changing with these educators? Your, your daughters an educator also. Uh, you know, what do you think's going on with that? Where you know, Buster, it, it constantly changes. And if I tried to, I've been out of it for five and a half years now if I tried to be specific I couldn't probably be because it changed it ultimately changed all the time with my I have four young grandsons and they're just in the early stages of their educational career and you know it's very obvious that we are 
accelerating our young people at a faster rate. We're exposing them. I mean, if I go down and look at one of my second grade grandsons and, and look at the mathematics now that, that he's receiving on a daily basis, it's just accelerated from what it, what it used to be. So that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. And um, it's, I think, a challenging time to grow up now. Even more so, maybe you know we're living in a, seems like a much more complicated world than than I grew up in, and so they're having a lot of things thrown at them, um, and so education in those aspects are changing. the The thing that I don't think will ever change, and the thing that I probably worked hardest as a superintendent was recruiting and retaining great teachers. You know, as a parent, as a grandparent. As a school superintendent, I always felt like that if I can put a great teacher in front of that child, then we've got a chance. And I think that's key. And then the scary thing to me about education this day and time is, is we're we're losing some really talented people out of the teaching profession, and we're not uh, attracting the talent that we used to attract. Uh, I think I think part of that's the the, the pay scales. Uh, and uh, then I think we don't uh, maybe make it as attractive and put the emphasis on it that we used to do. So I'm concerned about quality people getting into the education business nowadays. Do you think that, uh, and I'll agree with you on that one, that you hear of really good teachers who are just giving it up. I, I had some really good teachers, and one of the kind of one of the things I see of this is that w teachers can't teach and teachers can't discipline and teachers can't do what needs to be done to maintain control. I mean, nowadays you, you I was, I got my little boy's report card in and it was covered in P's and S's and all this stuff. I'm like, where's the A, B's and C's? They don't do that anymore. Well, why? Well, I think I heard a, uh, there was a, maybe the greatest college basketball coach of all time, John Wooden at UCLA years and years ago. And I was flipping around the television and uh, I came, I don't even know what it was, but I, there was a uh, little show and John Wooden was teaching a class at UCLA. He was 95 years old at the time. So I started watching and I just watched about 15 minutes of it and I don't even know what the subject matter was. But three times in that 15 minutes, he told those college students, he said, the most important job in the world is parenting. And I agree, totally agree with that. And what has happened over the years is um, we have evolved to where the, the schools are taking on the role of the, of the home to a great extent. And... Um, we're teaching things. Our curriculum now is 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 a lot different in the fact that the social pieces and the things, a lot of things that used to be taught at the home, are taught in school now because there's a lot of those kids that don't they don't have that, right. they don't have that at home, and uh, uh, you know we're even into the area now to where uh, uh, teachers and school per personnel or or are becoming heavily involved in the security of schools and arming arming themselves to some extent in some districts. So 
the what is being asked of an ed public school educator this day and time is tremendously different than what it used to be. Uh, now, I still believe strongly in those things because those kids, for us to have a productive society and for them, those kids to live full productive lives, they need those elements that in a lot were, were, were taught in a lot of homes and, some, and, and certainly some homes still for sure, but, but not to the extent that it was. So uh, it's the, in, um, I can't recall some of the things, but, but uh, those areas are, are really different and uh, a lot, I think a lot more is asked of teachers in this respect. Uh, you know, when I was, after I retired, we still used uh, corporal punishment when I was superintendent of schools. <laughs> you know, we still had the paddle. Now, that had to be monitored. You know, there were rules how to uh -huh. use that paddle. And uh, uh, it wasn't an end-all, but it was a tool. Uh, it was a tell deterrent, you, too. Was, yeah, I'll tell you a quick story. I was uh, a high school assistant principal who just gotten in administration, administration. I had a young ninth grade kid, good kid, but he was always doing something mischievous. And uh, finally one day I picked up the phone. His mother was a bus driver at the school district. And I said, uh, Miss Zimmerman, I said, uh, uh, can I, I said, I've done about everything I know to do. Can I use the board if I need to? He said, she said, Mr. York, do whatever you need to do. So it seemed like about once a week I'd call, have to call him in the office and call my secretary, and I'd give him about three licks with a paddle. So uh, I left at the end of that school year and became a principal in another school district. Well, about three years later, I go to my mailbox, open up my mailbox, and there's an envelope, and open it up. And it's a picture of this young man in his Marine uniform and told, wanted just to tell me how much he appreciated me for helping him turn his life around. So, that, uh, that's awesome. So, yeah, that, that now, um, after I left, uh, there's hardly any districts in the state of Texas that use corporal punishment anymore. And a lot of it's because uh, you cannot protect that individual in the liability scenario. I had principals that stopped even though we were allowed to give corporal punishment, they stopped using it because, uh, you know, if there was a, a lawsuit, yeah. the school district could not defend them legally by law. And so they, and I didn't blame them for not doing it. But, but and, I, and corporal punishment wasn't an end all. It was another tool. I used it as a very last resort myself. But that's an example of how our society is changing, how discipline is changing, how it's becoming a little more demanding. Uh, to discipline for a lot of reasons and uh, so uh, challenging, challenging to be an educator now. I think we're, uh, you know, when you said the word discipline and that's something that's becoming so prevalent right now that, oh, you have to have discipline. You know, people are wondering why their lives are spiraling out or, you know, why have I gained so much weight? Why am I not in the job that I want to do? And then all of a sudden they come through and they hear someone like Jocko Wilnick, who, you know, leader of SEAL Team 3 in Ramadi, talking about discipline, discipline, mm -hmm. discipline. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to get it later in life. I mean, I remember growing up when I was in junior high, no, middle school, uh, the principal at the school that I was at, Mr. Ray Bernard, he was good friends with my dad. And I had my little youthful indiscretions also. 
and I got sent to Mr. Bernard's uh, office. And on the wall, there were three paddles. One was a big one, one was a skinny one, and one was a medium with holes drilled in it for aerodynamics. And I was in his office one day, and he called my dad, and he goes, well, he's here. This is what happened. What do you think? And he, okay, I agree. Hangs up. And he looks at me, he looks at the wall, and he says, pick one. (laughs) And my eyes must have got so big. And he says, well, I'm going to pick for you then. And he, he grabbed it. And he could tell, he goes, you understand what's getting ready to happen. I go, yes, sir. He goes, do I have to? Go? No, sir. And he put it back on the wall. And it was just that that bit of you're going to get out of line and there's going to be consequences. Yeah. And, and I'll never forget. And I got home and my dad was like, well, how was school today? <laughs> and, yeah. and I was just like, well, I learned a lot today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having a good educator who's, you couldn't get away with that today. Uh, I had another one of my teachers, uh, Mr. Murphy Gotro in junior high, who he taught civics and social studies. Always, and he had a saying, you can't soar with the eagles if you're pecking with the chickens. And, and that always resonated about how to be better. And we had, used to have to do a social studies project once a week, bring in an article, talk about it. And I forgot to do mine one time. And he looked at me. And this is another guy who was friends with my dad played golf with him, they hung out, and he reaches in his desk and he pulls out a bag cell phone, puts it on the desk, dials the number, and all I hear is, yes, this is Mr. Murphy Gotro. I'd like to speak to Mr. Caballero, please. Yeah, Gary, just want to let you know, your, uh, your boy didn't do his homework. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll let him know. Okay. And he hangs up. And I'll never forget. He gave, after that, he gave me this wink. And I was like, he didn't really call him. But I, the whole time, I'm freaking out. So a good educator who is willing to say, like, hey, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be, you need to have, I think that's completely missing right now. Oh, it is. And, and you know, um, accountability is missing. Right. And. And and we we you know we turn on the TV and we see that every day where where uh, you know people are making mistakes and and in some areas we're not holding them accountable and yeah that's missing and it's it's missing in the home uh, and it's missing in in the public schools it's to some extent because of, of, of people are a little bit handcuffed to do some of the things they used to do and that's scary that's scary. How far does it? How far does it go? Is that pendulum swinging to the other side, to where teachers can't even defend themselves? If a student becomes violent, they know nothing's going to happen, but the teacher knows something's going to happen to them. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we better get a hold on it and uh, not lose, you know, our value systems. Yeah, I agree. Values are, are a big part of that too. Mm-hmm. So. But I think also, like you said, I'm, I'm seeing this now from my standpoint. A lot of my friends and even the dads and the guys I talk to about being more involved, going up to the school, 
being there for the kids, having that presence and, and, and shifting that away. And I think, I think we're kind of progressing back to that way where the, the, the parents are a little more putting the responsibility onto the child instead of the, instead of the teachers. Cause you can't, you can't expect your teacher to teach your kid, manage their behavior, teach them how to be a good person. You know, while, while they do do that, but it's not their sole responsibility to just say, here's school, raise my kid, give them back at 18. If they're not good people, it's your fault. So, but I think we're, I think we're starting to see a shift the other way. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing I worry about, Buster, is when you look at statistics, about 50% of our children now in our school system, uh, they don't have that. They, they're either from a single parent home or uh, they're living with the grandparents, or or whatever, and they don't have that support at home. And so, uh, and then, you know, the way our system's set up, uh, uh, you know, we have about a two and a half month break over the summer, and mm-hmm. so you get a lot of these kids, both academically and socially, you get them to a pretty good point about the end of May, and then they go back into that element for about two and a half months. And, and, and they lose a little bit of the academic piece and and, and the structure and the, and the structure exactly and and in some cases uh, uh, a healthy diet that they get at school every day so you've got a, a, a range of variants of kids that uh, uh, those kids that have some means and and they have a great exposure to activities and events when they're you know which is an educational experience and those kids that that, that don't have much at all in that respect. So you've 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 you put them in a big melting pot, and you've got to try to uh, individualize the education for each one of them, knowing that this one's this one's in pretty good shape, and or this one needs a lot of help, and and you've got to you've got to educate all kids. That's the that's the biggest challenge in education is educating all students. Right, right. That, that's that's such a great insight to hear. And I think a lot of people, you know, if they're listening to this, they're going to hopefully maybe say, you know what, maybe I can do, maybe I can do a little bit better on my side. Well, we need, uh, you, you know, when I was as superintendent, we had 23,000 students. Well, well two-thirds of those, 66% of them were on free and reduced lunch. That meant that you know, they were poor kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, that becomes a little bit more challenging to educate when you have a tremendously... Uh, you have a, 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 a tremendously heterogeneous group. Of, you have kids of all kinds. You have mm-hmm. kids with means, kids that don't that don't have many means, and and uh, but yet you you need to find a way to get the maximum potential out of each child. And there's such a variance of different types of kids, academically, socially, etc. Do you think that with now? And I may, I may be wrong in this, but I'm hearing that they don't teach social studies anymore. They don't teach, I thought I heard someone say they don't teach spelling, handwriting, all these. It's basically something completely different now that these kids, what it looked like from whenever I was there. And it's probably from when I was there, it's probably different from when you were going through. And, and you know, just the basics of, mm-hmm. of it now. And from here, from up, it was like, they're just trying to prep these kids to take a test, take this star test. That's the 
every time that comes around, I, I just hear from everybody, I'm opting out. Well, if you opt out, you can't pass and all this. And it's like, yeah. why, why don't we just teach? Well, it's a double-edged sword, and I'm, I'm certainly one that over the years became extremely frustrate, frustrated with the state-mandated scenario. Then on the other side, uh, there has to be some type of accountability. In other words, uh, you know, in the public education, uh, you know, we're spending taxpayers' dollars, and we need to spend them as wisely as we can. And and there needs to be some type of accountability that that the public schools are doing the very best they can and doing what meets the public. That's why it's called public education. Right. And uh, but no one, I don't think they've ever found a system the one one fits all you know type system, and and that's what's very uh, discouraging about it because. Uh, you know, back 30 years, in fact, I had, a, I had an educator about 30 years ago tell me, he said, one, one of these days they're going to put a scoreboard in the classroom. Oh, wow. And things are going to be a little different. And, and they did. They did put a scoreboard in the classroom. And I, I don't think there's any doubt the accountability piece has helped our kids and it's helped education. But it's like anything else. What I found out, Buster in life and general is anything and, and everything can be abused and uh, the demands on these schools are so great in the accountability arena that uh, they'll skewer sometimes the time and effort that needs to be spent in certain areas um, and I think that's a little bit of what we've gotten into in that respect so uh, but yeah, it, it's like anything else. Anything can be overdone, can be abused, uh, and and you have to have checks and balances. And uh, uh, you know, when I was a superintendent, a word that I used a lot with my principal, I had twenty five principals, and a word that I started using a lot with them was the word balance. And I said, you have to have great balance. I said, you have to be able to call that. Uh, professional into your office and shut the door and have a really extensive conversation with that person on accountability or wherever needs done. But and then you also need to be able to put your arm around them and motivate them, and tell them what a great job you're doing. You've got to have the balance. If you're skewered either direction, then you've got a problem. And I think that's a, a lot about anything else in life. And but there needs to be great, great balance. If you tilt the scale one way or other too far, then you can, I think, create issues. I think that's a, what some people have done in the area of, of accountability in, mm -hmm. in schools. That, that's a really God, I want to put that to everything in life almost, you know, not just uh, sitting down well, with the educator, but, <laughs> you know, your kids, your wife, your um, your friends, uh, yeah, and yeah. being able to have that conversation yeah. and if someone's open to that conversation. And how about the political arena that we're in today? Wow. So so I think balance, yes, I think uh, uh, balance is really a, a, a word that everyone needs to think about all the time is that doesn't mean they have to be balanced necessarily because people need to be who they are to a certain yeah. extent. But uh, I always wanted to have balance in my staff. Now, what I meant by that is 
Uh, you know, if I had a if I had a guy that was probably a little bit over the edge as far as being a little bit too stringent and too tough, I'd want to match him up with somebody that had those people skills that could could do the other. So where you could create some balance. Mm -hmm. We we definitely need that. We we be need we need to be able to talk to people and tell them, hey, here's some things that that I see you kind of messing up almost in a way. Or this is an area, man. I I'm worried about you. I care about you. I think you're a great person. You know, and it's you can apply this to like my kid or my wife or one of my friends and say, I really think you need to take a look at this because you're such a good person in all these other areas. And I just see this as an area mm -hmm. for development. Mm -hmm. Now, will that person say, you know what? I appreciate it. Thanks. Coming, or will they be, hey, man, I know what I'm doing. You know, and I, I used to also tell the principals this, and I think my answer to what your comment is, is, and I used to tell them, I said, you know, he said, mo I said, most of the times it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Mm -hmm. And... um being very professional, you know, in a position with 3,000 employees, we, we, there were times when we had to uh, uh, tell people they needed to move another direction. And uh, people later would say, well, man, I, I didn't know that happened. And I said, yeah, you didn't know it happened because it was done professionally. It was done in the, in the proper venue, in the proper way, and in, in a compassionate way. Uh, and it 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 wasn't done uh, out on Twitter or this or that. And uh, you can defend people that do things in the right manner in the right way. Right. And uh, uh, I know when my dad passed away, one of his former players spoke at a funeral. And he, the kid told a story about he was on track team, and he he decided he'd sleep in one Saturday and miss track meet. My dad called him in early the next week and. Set, had him in front of him and basically dismissed him from the track team when it was all said and done. He said when he left my dad's office, said, uh, said man, he's feeling good, said he thought. Yeah. <laughs> said, uh, uh, you know, and, and I know when I worked for Bob McQueen, he taught me a good lesson. Uh, uh, you know, football wasn't for everybody. We'd have kids that would come in and, you know, they, they'd come in and, and they'd quit, basically. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't for them. And uh, well, I was sitting with, in Coach's office when that happened one day, and the kid came in kind of sheepishly and said, Coach, I just I don't want you know, to do something different. And, and Coach looked at him, and he said, Well, I want to ask you one favor. And the kid looked up, and he said, Well, what is that, Coach? He said, Well, I want you to be the best fan we have on Friday nights. So I asked him later, I said, well, Coach, boy, I, you handled that different. Than, I thought you'd be angry a little bit because of the time we put in on this kid. And he said, well, I said, I've learned something. He said, I've learned one thing. I said, you know, if you make an enemy out of that kid, I said, you're going to make an enemy out of mama and daddy and brother and sister and grandma and grandpa. And said, one of these days, that's going to catch up with you. Yeah. And they said, that kid already made his mind up. And, and, uh, you know, so a lot of times it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And if you really care about someone, you care about the organization, uh, and, uh, then you need to have that, that tough conversation. And uh, if you're going to be a supervisor, you have to be able to do that, and you have to be able to do it appropriately. Mm -hmm. 
Some people can do it, but they can't do it appropriately. And that's when it, as a supervisor, that's when it did not uphold my core values. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they had to, they had to do that, but they didn't do it properly. And so I was very, to me, it was real important, not only what you did, but how you did it. That's good advice. I like that. That's, that's so true. And we need it nowadays. And like you mentioned, nowadays that kid could have gone out and tweeted at the coach and said, oh, so-and-so, you know, dropped me from the team, all this stuff. And now people are on the side of the coach. People are on the side of the student and everybody's getting angry about stuff when it, all in reality is it's something that happened between two people. Exactly. One person made a choice. Yeah. The other person had yeah. to do something about yeah. that choice. Yeah. And that's it. And, and I've, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people are this way. I've, I've certainly made my share of mistakes, and there are things that I did in my younger career that I look back now and say, man, I should have done that differently. I should have done that a little bit differently. So I think as we grow older and we have experiences, we certainly grow wiser. Mm -hmm. And like I said, my, my benefit was I, I, I had better mentors than most people should even be allowed to have, and I was able to sit and watch some great people and work under great people that molded my life and my career. And, uh, and I made mistakes along the way and, and learned from them. And, uh, you know, so, but it's a process. It's a learning process and growing. You never, I don't, I don't, you never get too old to learn. Well, I'm pretty sure if I went and find some people who worked with you, they would say that you were a pretty good mentor for them also. Uh, just, just sitting here on this conversation, you know, I've already got a couple of tidbits I'm putting in my pocket to take with me in life. Uh, so, so now that you now it's all done and, and you're here in your life right now, what what gets you excited? What's what gets you up and out? And what do you what do you like doing? What, well, what is uh, a what yeah. is a retired superintendent five championship? <laughs> now, oh, I want to touch base on this because Gary and I were talking on the ride up here. Uh, Gary was talking. I was listening. And you have, you, well, you and your brother have a distinct honor in Texas among coaches that no one else has. Whereas your father has won a state championship. You have won a state championship. And your brother has won a state championship. They've had father sons coaches who have won state championships but never two sons mm -hmm. from that that that's quite a that's quite an honor it uh it it's uh yes it is and what people ask me about that like you said and i said well it's good players <laughs> which is, which is, good players and good fortune which it is certainly it is and but uh yeah we it's uh fun to to be able, especially when my, my, of course, your dad, our dad is deceased now, but my little brother and I get together, you know, and it, it's very enjoyable. Um, and we don't, you know, we don't talk a lot about that uh, uh, stuff a lot. Um, you know, going back to what am I doing now, one, one thing, there was a, uh, and I think it was Brett Favre, was staying with, um, he, Pat Dye was the, Auburn coach many, many, many years mm -hmm. ago when Auburn played against Alabama and Coach Bryant. And, 
Brett Favre was staying at uh, Pat Dye's house. This was within about the last two years. And Pat, Coach Dye, was showing him around his property and his house. And they came to this room that had all the football trophies in it and all you know all his memorabilia like that. And uh, Brett Favre made some kind of comment and said, Coach, Coach just said, oh, that's the stuff that, that doesn't matter. And they kept on moving to other areas of the house and this and that. So it's really, now the relationships that were made do matter. Mm-hmm. And so those fun, things are fun to like. I mean, you walk around the house and you look now and you won't find much, you know, you might find one or two pictures and one or two pictures of my son when my son played in college and this and that, but you won't find a whole lot of those things. But you will find the relationships pieces, the players, the coaches that we coach together with, and all those things are pretty neat. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, watching Dad, and then like I said, my brother same way as I was. You know, he all, all he wanted to do was coach growing up, and uh, so it it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So what are you doing now? What's well, um, you know, I stay busy. People asked me the other day. I had a, 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 a person I had not seen quite a while. I said, well, what do you do all day? What do you do out there? What do you do all day? And I stay busy, but when I get starting to tell, talk some to somebody about it, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I've got blessed with four little grandsons, two seven-year-olds, a five and a three. And so they're kind of the, you know, revolve my life around them and mm-hmm. keep keep them some and uh, travel quite a travel I've been mm-hmm. blessed to have the resources to, to do some traveling been to Europe and some pl- lots of different places fish some mm-hmm. uh, so I actually stay pretty pretty busy mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and you know what I do sometimes I I feel like being a public educator for 37 years was 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 a service I think and and the Lord blessed me with a, a ability to serve young kids and those other people and now what I try to do I see an, a, a world that we live in now where there's a little more anger than there used to be people don't get along as well as they used to and uh, that bothers me a lot and uh, so anytime I'm around other people at all, I try to kill them with kindness. That's my way of trying to give back to, uh, you know, uh, if I'm somewhere, I'm going to hold that door open for somebody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them how their day is. I don't ever see a veteran that I don't think stop and thank them for, for the freedoms and the liberties that I enjoy today and my children and grandchildren enjoy today. So... What I try to do on a daily basis is give back to uh, others, others, uh, any type of kindness and service that I can. And that's not a lot, but that's certainly something I can do. So yeah. that's that's how I live my life. That's that's a great thing to do, and it's needed. And I couldn't think of a better person to to go and do that. Just go well, put some good out in the world. Well, we we need that because we've. Uh, you know, we've come a little, become a little bit too selfish in this world, mm-hmm. and self-centered, and uh, we need to move move back the other direction a little bit. I agree. I agree. No. Well, Doctor York, uh, I, I really appreciate the chance to sit down here and and talk to you and get this. This is this has been great for me. 
and I'm sure the listeners, all like 10 of them, are probably going <laughs> to, hopefully they pull a little bit out of this too. Uh, I've mentioned a couple of times to some people through our social media that I'm going to be inter- interviewing a really, a really good guy today. Uh, what do you think, and, and just to close us out, from, from the good old boy, you know, saying that we're just trying to live life right. And that's the way I put it. A good old boy just lives life right. If you could boil it down to one piece of advice, what would it be? Buster, I think it it goes back, probably goes back to the Bible. Treat treat others as, as you would like to be treated. And um, it, it, one thing I think we have done in this world, and I talked about a little bit earlier about that, that our children and grandchildren are growing in up in a more complex world. Yeah. And the older I get, uh, things aren't really complicated. No. They're really not. Com- I mean, when you really look at things, that things are, and 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 we need. I need you know try to simplify things. Uh, try to treat other people as you would like to be treated. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing because this is something that uh, uh, this is something that should be there forever, and is something these podcasts can be passed down to children and grandchildren and others, uh, you know, for the purpose of of you know telling people how how we should function in society and how we should live. So I think it's a great thing that it's something that you you have here that's a record that can be passed on and on and on. Thank you. I appreciate that, sir. So, well, we're going to shut it out here. We're going to go walk across the street to Gary, go try and uh, grab a cup of coffee with him. I'm going to head on out, and then uh, I think you're getting ready to go see your grandkids this afternoon. Going to see your grandkids. What, you, you going to see a movie? Going to Spider-Man. Going to take oh, them to see Spider-Man. The animated one? The animated one. That's going to be a good yeah, one. Yeah, that's a yeah. good Look, one. So, so that's kind of how my life revolved, and I love every minute of it. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. My, my dad, too, when he gets around my boys, uh, he's got four grandboys and one granddaughter. Well, three granddaughters. And to see him, the way he interacts with them, he bought them more toys than he bought me. I'm like, why do you have a go-kart? He goes, that's for the grandkids. Why did you build a putting green? That's for the grandkids. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's mine? He yeah. says, the garbage. Take it out. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you very much for letting me be here today. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, Enjoyed it. You yeah. know you know where I live now, so I come do. on out and we'll sit out here and have a beverage and enjoy this beautiful scenery. That sounds yeah. good. All right. Thank you very much, right. Dr. York. Thank you. All right. Guys, that was my interview with Dr. Toby York. A great man, really welcome, accommodating, brought me into his home to have this interview. I apologize that the uh, audio on my side was a little choppy. Dr. York came in clean as can be, still uh, getting these settings right, traveling, getting all set up. So once again, I appreciate y'all listening. Uh, This is going to be dropping Christmas Eve. So if you're listening to this, Merry Christmas. subscribe like share with your friends got a lot of stuff good stuff coming for 2019 so as always appreciate the listen thank you for tuning in as always say hi to your mom and them thanks guys